Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. By the time this comes out, Christmas will have just happened, so Merry Christmas to everyone. Shengdan Kuailo. And Shengdan uh, Jie is how you say Christmas in Chinese. And it's an interesting set of characters. So Sheng means holy. So holy is uh, the word you know, you'll use for various different uh, texts or, uh, you know, maybe just something that you believe to be deified in some way. So Sheng in, is the first character. And then Dan. This is a very formal way of saying birth. So the holy birth, naturally, since this is supposed to be celebrating the birth of Jesus. So you have Sheng Dan and then Jie. That just is any type of holiday or celebration, so and then when you wish somebody a Merry Christmas or a Happy Christmas, you simply say right, so that's how you wish somebody a Merry Christmas in Chinese, and that's, you know, the characters there, and then, you know, you'll use all the time, that just means happy when it relates to uh, some type of period of time, usually, um, or maybe an environment. So, uh, or a, yeah, it's usually, I think Kaila is most often applied to periods of time, but it could be in an atmosphere or something like that. Ooh, it's a happy atmosphere here, that type of thing. So, anyway, let's move on with the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. This week, we had a few people reach some milestones in the course and at different spots. So, it's kind of cool to see how that's uh, going for people. And we'll talk about all of that. But just as a reminder for those of you who are new to the podcast, Mandarin Blueprint podcast is a podcast that works in conjunction with the Mandarin Blueprint Method course. That isn't to say that if you're not on the Mandarin Blueprint Method course, you couldn't find this podcast valuable, but the structure of the course is, or of the podcast is based on answering emails, answering community forum questions or comments, and answering comments on particular lesson videos within the course. And so that's why you know, if you're not in the course, some of this might seem a little bit uh, out of left field, but if you are in the course, it's a very helpful way to get feedback in the form of video and audio response. So we hope you enjoy the podcast regardless of whether you're on the course or not. And let's get started with an email from Fabian. Fabian says, hi, Luke. Hi, Phil. Hey, Fabian. From the bottom of my heart, I just want to thank you for this amazing course. The first time I started learning Chinese was about one and a half years ago before I visited my girlfriend's grandparents in Taiwan. Since then, I tried different online courses, apps, and even one-on-one -on -one online lessons. But I always struggled and had the feeling that this is the wrong approach. It was so frustrating. With all the other learning methods, I couldn't memorize the easiest words, struggled with pronunciation and memorizing the tones, and don't get me started on characters. I was so discouraged, but didn't want to give up. It's super important to me to learn Chinese, to be able to communicate with my girlfriend's relatives, and to learn more about the culture and history. So before I continue with Fabian's email, I just wanted to comment on this particular section because Fabian did a great job of encapsulating what it's like for so many people because clearly Fabian's motivation is not a problem here. He's got a motivation. He wants to connect with his girlfriend's grandparents and relatives. I mean, like when you want to connect with relatives, that is a very strong motivation. So the motivation is not the issue. And this is why uh, it's so disappointing that the learning apparatus that's already out there is so 
based on methods that aren't effective. They're just what people have been doing previously, and it's just a continuation of that sort of educational uh, momentum, right? And what we're seeing here from Fabian is that his motivation is the pro isn't the problem because despite the frustration, he kept going, kept trying things, and kept being like, yo, this still isn't working. I'm still struggling, but I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. But then you go to the next thing, and it's still not helping you with the characters because, like, if you don't have a structure for learning all this stuff, it's just a morass of information because not only is are the pronunciations different and not only is the um, the way the words are structured different, but it's based on an entirely different sort of, you know, for lack of a better word, alphabetical system. In the sense, it's not even an alphabetical system. It's this whole other system for creating words and building up the language. And what, because so many courses or teachers sort of skip that part, it makes it so hard. I mean, imagine learning English without learning the ABCs or learning Russian without learning the Cyrillic alphabet and stuff like that. You know, it's just sort of, it, it's really, really tough without the characters. So right, let's continue with what Fabian is uh, talking about here. So continuing with the email, he says, a few weeks ago, I found out about your course on Reddit and signed up for the free trial. The whole concept was new to me and a bit confusing and wild in the beginning. I thought it's not for me and just another waste of time. But your way of teaching and the enthusiasm you show in your videos made me stick to the course, and so I gave it some time and stayed on it. What can I say? I recently bought the full bundle and am currently at phase two, level 10. Learning Chinese can be so mesmerizing. I finally love everything about the process. It's so, so, so much fun. I'd cry tears of joy. <laughs> nice. My girlfriend is super impressed by my progress, and we have a laugh about the ridiculous scenes and stories I come up with. One of her favorites is Michael Jackson <laughs> using the toilet, uh, using <laughs> taking a number two on the golden toilet in my best friend's living room. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's pretty wacky. Of course, there's an audience watching him since it's Michael Jackson. <laughs> But everyone in the audience wears a weird horse mask as he sits down on the toilet. He jumps to his feet and there are razor blades on the toilet seat. In his pain, he neighs like a horse and the audience applauds. And of course, that is uh, the scene that represents Ma, the character for horse. Uh, so Michael Jackson represents the M. The friend's living room represents the A and third tone. Oh, I should say the... The friend's house represents A, and then the living room represents third tone, and then the toilet represents the middle component, the horse masks on the audience represent the top component, and the razor blade represents the final stroke of the character Ma. And so, it, you know, just as a point about the efficacy of this method, I've obviously never heard that scene before, um, but I knew exactly what it must be, because everything maps quite clearly uh, in the system. So if you've not done the Mandarin blooper method before, and you're wondering how the heck that I know what character that was, it's because it's really obvious once you learn how to make this stuff. So anyway, finally, after struggling for almost two years, I have the feeling of being at home. So uh, he has a question here in a second, which I'll get to, but I just wanted to say, uh, I'm so happy for you, Fabian, that you've realized this relief, because uh, that feeling of like, I'm not, it's not working what I'm doing, I really want to achieve success in this language, but everybody that I'm going to and every app that I'm going to is failing to give me what I need. 
and that can be very discouraging. And then if you then find something like Mandarin Blueprint, you'll um, discover that, oh, no, there is something out there that at least takes into account what it's like to learn as a foreigner and what it's like to, um, you know, go through the process of learning in such a way that you don't ever overwhelm yourself. Like the idea behind Mandarin Blueprint is that we never want you to feel overwhelmed. We just want you to feel like, look, there's a lot of steps. Of course, it's a long journey uh, through the up the mountain called Chinese. It's a big mountain, but we know the steps that get you there so that all you got to do is just just take the next step. Just keep taking the next step and no one step is the hardest thing in the world, you know, and so you know, what it, what's the easiest next step possible, right? And sometimes with, uh, to, to push this metaphor probably too far, it's like the other courses and apps tell you, okay, take a, a step here and then your next step, jump 20 feet forward because uh, we're going to skip a bunch of stuff that you should learn first and then uh, jump back a couple steps and then uh, jump uh, forward uh, 50 feet and you're like, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, like, so it can be very um, frustrating. So let's get to the question here at the end of the email. He says, last but not least, I have one quick question. I'm interested in also learning traditional characters in the long run. Are there any videos about that in future lessons or do you guys have any tips on that topic? Keep up the great work, all the best, Fabian. So we've designed the course around simplified characters because we've only ever lived in the main mainland. There are of course far more uh, mainland Chinese, you know, Mandarin speakers, um, however, we do hope at some point to integrate traditional characters into the course in some way. It's a little bit tricky, um, but, and also, uh, you know, in full disclosure, I've never learned traditional characters. Now, I have ended up learning a lot of them because many of them correspond very clearly to the simplified characters. But, you know, reading a traditional character paragraph for me is a bit, you know, it's 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 not always impossible because... So, like, you could think of it like this. My relationship with traditional characters is I'm more likely to be able to understand it if it's in a paragraph because then I can look at the rest of the context and figure out what the word probably is. But if you put a traditional character in front of me with no other context, it's very likely um, if it's, you know, a certain – if it's a more complicated character that I won't recognize it. So, um, there's that too. <laughs> so, we're going to have to – if we – once we inter integrate traditional characters, we're going to have to learn them as well. However, it's – there's – three categories of traditional characters as they relate to simplified characters. So um, the simplified characters are many traditional characters are the same as simplified characters. So those don't require any extra effort, obviously. Then there's a second category where there is a difference, but the difference is um, the difference is very clear. Like the origin of, the difference is very clear. Like for example, there's the uh, component bei, which means shell. And that component in simplified Chinese is like an inverted box with an opening at the bottom and then two strokes like the person uh, character below that. And in traditional Chinese, it's the component mu for eye, which is kind of like a box with two lines in it and then two legs at the bottom. And generally speaking, whenever the component bei is in a character, uh, in simplified Chinese, it's that traditional version of bei in the traditional character. And so that when there's something really simple like that, like there's just one change 
and you just figure out what the corresponding change is, those are also very easy to learn. Then there's the third type, and the third type is the one that's tricky. So the third type is where you have uh, a character that just has set more than one difference between the traditional and the simplified, which means that there is likely a different mnemonic scene that you would have to do to remember it. And the reason why that's I said it's tricky to integrate traditional characters into our course is because of this third category. So if you imagine that as you're learning simplified characters, that there was a simplified character where the uh, traditional character was far more complicated than the simplified character, that would mean that we'd have to introduce a bunch of new character components earlier. So, um, you know, the, the even just the character for Sun, which is R in, um, simple, in simplified, that's just two um, strokes. But in traditional, that's actually like it's got a component that we don't even introduce we're not even going to introduce it until the advanced course uh in it so there's that's an example where okay here's a character that we introduce i believe in like level seven or something like that of the mandarin blueprint method but in order to teach it the traditional way we're going to have to introduce a new prop like way earlier and so it's going to cause the introduction of props to change for traditional characters which is why it's going to take a little bit more than just uh you know, we're going to have to make like a traditional track that people follow because we don't really want to change the order of the characters because the order of the characters affects everything moving forward. So you can under you can understand how we don't want to change the order of the characters, but in order to integrate traditional characters there, uh, we would have to introduce props way earlier. So anyway, the point is that if you want to learn traditional in the future, the first step is to figure out which characters are exactly the same, so you don't need to learn those, which characters have one easy change that I can easily you know, figure out, and then which characters are in that third category. And when you get to that third category of they're more complicated, then you need to look at, look at them and say, like, you know, suppose that by the end of 2021, we have the advanced course out, and then you finish the advanced course and you learn 3,000 characters. Um, that means that say maybe a thousand of them are in that third category. I'm not sure if that's the case. I'm just saying that maybe there's a thousand of them. Well, if you learn the 3000 characters with us, the vast majority of the components in those thousand, you'll actually already know. And so you can come up with new little mnemonic scenes to um, adjust your simplified character into a traditional character. So I'd say learn the simplified characters first and then figure out what the difference is between the two. And certainly what we'll do uh, at some point that isn't that big of a project is just to show the traditional character also. Um, and then what we'll probably do then is break down the traditional character props. Then the next thing we'll do is point out, okay, this is a prop that you haven't learned yet if you're on the simplified track. And then eventually we'll like create a traditional track as well. But like this, these are sort of bit by bit. And I don't think we're going to bother with traditional characters until we've finished the simplified characters order. And as many of you know, Mandarin Blueprint is a work in progress. Uh, and so we are working on trying to get it to the point where you can learn at least 3000 characters, probably more through our course. And then uh, all of the various words that associate with that so that you could pass the HSK six just using the Mandarin Blueprint Method course from zero, and also not just do that from zero, but 
not just pass the HSK six from zero, but be able to learn the language without needing educational materials. So if you think of it like, we want you to be able to use native Chinese writing and listening materials to learn the language. Once you get to that level, there's so much free stuff out there that you would never need to pay for any educational content again. So the idea is that's what we're gonna go for in the future. So. All right, Fabian, I'm so happy for you. I hope that you can um, uh, succeed as you move forward continually. And I'll say this, uh, if you get to the point of wanting to learn traditional characters before we've done the things I mentioned previously, then there is the, there are the Remembering the Hanzi books by um, James Heisig and uh, Timothy Richardson, and they made traditional versions of those books. Uh, they're not as comprehensive as the Mandarin Blueprint method, but they could give you a basis to start. So Remembering the Traditional Hanzi by James Heisig and Timothy Richardson would be a way you could move from there. I mentioned that we have a few people who've gotten to different stages of success. We had Fabian, he's at the layer of, you know, le uh, phase two, level 10, and, you know, sort of realizing the success he's having here. Next, we have a comment from Gavin on level 13 complete. He says, woohoo, level 13 done. I'm certainly feeling a sense of satisfaction and pride for making it this far. Nice, a couple of months ago, I could not have imagined how much I'd be enjoying my Chinese study. Thank you, Luke and Phil. Your course is incredible onwards and upwards. Yeah, level 13, completing level 13 is a good moment because that's the first time that you start seeing the Chinese characters and words you've learned already in the context of sentences, which is the language. That's when you get to the point where you're reading real Chinese. Now, it's Chinese with a limited vocabulary and a limited number of characters because uh, at the end of level 13, I believe you know about 130 characters or maybe 125 or something like that. So we're not talking, you know, you need, you need to know about 3,000 to be as uh, able to function in native society, and you need about 600 to know 80% of the language by frequency in that 80-20 Pareto principle rule. So 125, you know, most courses, they're not going to have you uh, doing, they're going to they're gonna skip characters entirely. But like, if you only had 125 characters and they were doing it based on characters, they're not going to get you learning grammar at that point. But... We do because we know, okay, there's still comprehensible sentences you can make with these 125 characters that are grammatically correct. And so get going, get started building up that grammar module because it's like a meta game that you're winning. You want to see as many sentences that are grammatically correct as possible, which has this slow effect. Uh, it's like it's like adding wax to candles. Like when you dip that uh, wick into the the candle wax and like each little successive thing adds just a little layer. You know, it's not, the candle isn't made by just one dip. It takes many dips, right? And each dip is just a little bit more, but by the end you have this, you know, thing that can last a long time. And so you have to start that uh, at that, you know, early stage. And speaking of somebody starting at that early stage and then continuing, the next comment comes from Mason Royal on level 57 complete. That means that Mason finished the intermediate course this week. And he says, And that's a good use. So that's a good solid sentence. It means I finally finished. And uh, in this case, that's a great use of because means like one means finished and is a result. So it and means like to turn into. Uh, 
And so it's like, when you've really finished something, it's turned into a new thing. It's turned into something else. So, 我终于完成了. Thanks so much for the course, guys. Can't praise it enough. Can't wait for the next expansion. I love the attitude, Mason. And Mason left us a great review on Facebook, a Facebook review. Uh, we, you know, By the way, we have Google reviews and Facebook reviews. And so far, we've accumulated about 160 five-star reviews. So if any of you are listening to this and you're fans of Mandarin Blueprint, uh, we would love to get over 200 uh, five-star reviews because then we can... Uh, legitimately say we have hundreds of uh, five-star reviews. We can't say hundreds yet because it has to be at least 200 for that S to be allowed to be added. <laughs> so uh, anyway, thank you um, so much for that. And Mason did this. He got through, I believe, in seven months. That's great. You know, seven months to 1,530 characters. Bam. That is some good stuff because you think about it. After we make the expansion, and I mean, unfortunately, Mason's going to have to find other resources for learning characters until we do that. But, you know, if, if you can do 1,530 characters in seven months, then you could do the other remaining uh, 1,500 characters or so to get to the native level that's necessary. And when I say native level, I'm not saying a native Chinese person only knows about 3,000 characters. What I'm saying is that that's enough that you can read native material and figure out what it means. Um, and you know, and, and when I, also when I say 3,000 characters, I mean 3,000 characters and about 10,000 words that, that get created by that. Our course doesn't just focus on characters. We expand out into words and all of that. So Mason doesn't only know 1,530 characters. Now he's been exposed to over 4,000 words. So that's an important distinction there. But anyway, so... He's gotten that in seven months. If you do that, you just multiply that by two, 14 months, you're at 3,000. And I reckon, to be honest, that you could learn the second half faster than you learned the first half because the first half contains all of that doing stuff for the first time thing. So, like, by the second half, you're really skilled. You're, you've done at least 1,530 mnemonic scenes. You've gotten good at making mnemonic scenes. So you can do, go quickly through that. And so I would bet that it would even be less than seven months. So maybe it's even five months to get to the next 3,000. And look at that. We're looking at a year to get to 3,000 characters and you know maybe 10,000 words or so. This is revolutionary stuff, guys. Like this has never been possible to do it that fast. Um, and of course, you don't have to do it that fast. That's the other like element to it. It's just a path. It's just a path that we've built that means that you could go fast if you want to, you know, get on your hiking gear and move and, you know, maybe even jog the hike up the mountain. Sure, it's going to be, you know, more intense doing it that way, but you will uh, get up the mountain faster. But you can also take a leisurely stroll and uh, enjoy the scenery and enjoy the flowers. That's fine, too. So congratulations to Mason. That's really, really excellent stuff. And I'm uh, just so thrilled for you that you've made it this far. Next question from Michaela Ellison on Bai Tian in context. I don't think I understand the zai in xiuxi. Is it required? I would say it is not required in this sentence, but remember that zai can be applied to both space and time. So Bai Tian is daytime, so that's a uh, referring to a period of time, and by saying zai bai tian, you're just saying located in the daytime. So we tend to think of location as being space-related. I'm located in my office right now, right? But I'm also located in the morning. You know, it's morning here in uh, Chengdu. 
So that's an important distinction too. You can be located in both space and time as the Chinese think of it. So, um, and so other than you could just say though, Google, Yao Bai Tian Xiuxi. That's fine. Um, but Yao Zai Bai Tian Xiuxi. I imagine that, um, that it feels to me, this is totally just a grammar feeling that if you put the Zai in, uh, that maybe we're talking about a specific day. Um, you know, Google If you take away the die, it feels a little bit more general. Uh, like he's going to rest in the day, you know, maybe tomorrow or or uh, over the next few weeks or whatever. But for some reason, when you add die, it feels to me like we're talking about maybe tomorrow or it has been established earlier in the conversation what day you're talking about. So maybe you're talking about next week on Friday for some reason. And uh, it's like, well, he's going to do this and zai bai tian xi. And then at night, he's going to do that. And there's something about the adding the zai that makes it feel a little bit more like you're planning about a specific day. And because we use yao, we know it's a specific day in the future. So anyway, that's just a thought, um, but it's just a feeling there. It's not like a objective fact. I know that either sentence is grammatically correct uh, to have zai or not have zai. And just think about zai as being related to both space and time. Next, a question from Michaela Ellison on kai hui in context. So could I apply the same grammar rule above and use yi huar? as the unit of time. For example, 我看了一会儿的书, meaning I read a book for a while. For some reason, I want to say 我看书了一会儿, but I think that's wrong. The first sentence is almost correct, but uh, the, you would take away the 的. So 我看了一会儿书, because 看书 is a verb that means uh, to read, but it's literally, um, it's that verb what construction where 看 is a verb and 书 is a noun. And so what is it that you're looking at? It's the book, right? And so that translates into reading. Look book means read. And so Chinese is easy. And so um, when you have that type of word, you can separate it. Uh, and put in a description or a time frame as it relates to the verb. So, 看了一会儿书 is fine. The reason why you take the 的 out is because 的 indicates possession, um, but the the um, the book doesn't belong to for a moment. Like, see how that doesn't really make sense? It do, it doesn't belong there. It's it's not the possession of a moment. 一会儿. So, 看了一会儿书 is fine. So you've separated kan and shu and put in between the a that it was a completed action with lu and that it was a completed action that happened for a bit. That means looked for a bit. And then shu is read the book for a bit, right? And so that's how that would work. And I think that the reason um, that you you say, for some reason, I want to say, uh, it, well, that's what, how the English grammar, right? So I read for a bit. That's how you would say it. Uh, I read for a while in English. So that's why you have that instinct. It's not like uh, it's you're saying for some reason. Well, it's just because that's the English uh, way of putting it. But yeah, shu is correct. Uh, and uh, you just take away that duh. Good question, though. Good question. Becca G on Vocab Unlocked from Hui. Uh, 
My Taiwanese friend and speaking partner has been trying to help me learn Mandarin the, the past year before finding Mandarin Blueprint. As such, she finds the Arhua rather jarring, so I've been taught to largely ignore it. Right, so let me just mention what she's talking about here. Arhua is, so you'll notice the word Ihua, right? You could also say Ihui, right? Uh, and Ihua, well, first of all, why does it mean for a bit? Because Hui, one of the meanings of Hui is gather, is sort of like to gather together, and that's hence why it means meeting. And Ihui is starting to turn it into a measure word. So like the, the gathering together of some time, right? And it's kind of an interesting way to put it. And so like Ihui means for a bit, right? for a little bit. And so Ihua is usually how people say it in mainland China. Actually, pretty much in the North and the South, they tend to say Ihua. Uh, I do sometimes hear people say Ihui, but it's pretty rare. That said, though, in Taiwan, they don't do that Ihua as much as they do in the mainland. Um, that's one of Taiwan. Taiwanese is actually quite close to Mandarin. Um, you know, it has it's a bit more feminine overall, I would say. And it's also uh, it's got the slight differences in dialect like all uh, places do. But what I would say is that they don't use the arhua very much. And arhua just means adding that r sound to the end of many things. So like in Beijing, it's all, it sometimes feels like everything they say adds uh, r to the end. Like uh, you could say, uh, uh, It's just got this like sort of r sound everywhere. I mean, like I'm exaggerating it, of course, but like uh, that's what Arhua is when you turn something that was normally like Hua or Hui and you make it Hua or um, Hua, right? Continuing with her question. This has caused a bit of confusion for me as I've gone forward with Mandarin Blueprint. I know Nar can be interchanged with Nali. Same rule with Zhe in the sense that it can be Jar or Zhe But as more of these Arhua pop up, I have to ask, is it fairly normal to simply ignore it? Are there many words that will actually need something there instead, like the, you know, nar, nali above, or are most recognizable without the R? I can recognize what they mean when heard, but have grown accustomed to not using them myself. Just curious if this happens in a lot of vocab to come and your thoughts on dropping the R. Yeah, so regarding nar and nali and dar and juli and nar and nali, so these are uh, the where, here, there. And I, um, you know, I use the R version most of the time. Jar, nar, nar. I just like it. Uh, I just think it sounds cool. And uh, it's just what I like to say. But you can totally, and I do sometimes say Julie, right? It's just, you just use both of them. Like, I don't know, that's how language is. So you just sometimes use one, sometimes use the other. But they are a bit of an exception because uh, usually... When we're talking about arhua, if the r has meaning, that is to say, if it means son, as opposed like son and daughter, if it means son, then you for sure need it because it's its own character. But when it is like that, it also has its own syllable. For example, ards, ards means literally my son, right? So well, the ards is my son, and so. That in that case, R has its own individual syllable. But when R is tacked on 
to another character like John. You'll notice it's only one syllable, but it's two characters. This is the only common time that this happens in Chinese where you have two characters, but one syllable. Usually it's one syllable, one character, and that's just how it goes. But so because that's the case, most of the time, if you're adding R and it's adding on and not adding a syllable, it's just changing the pronunciation of the previous syllable like Ihuar. That's two syllables, three characters, right? So Huar is one, two characters, one syllable, Ihuar. In this case, generally speaking, if this is what's the pho phenomenon that's happening, you can drop the R. For example, Idiar, Yodiar. You can, both of those, you could say Idian or Yodian. And that means like a little bit of um, something, not a little bit of time, a little bit of something. And Yodian means somewhat, right? So, uh, I'm a little bit afraid to go in, right? You know, so, but you could say, um, and so that's an example where you add the R there, but either one is okay. You know, I hear the R Hua version a little bit more often here in China, in mainland China, but like, uh, they're both acceptable. Now, in the case of nar, char, nar, and then, uh, Nali, Jolly, Nali. Those are kind of exceptions to this rule, but it, uh, in the sense that if you were to drop the the R, then it does change the meaning of those characters. So if you were just to say Na, Jo, Na, that means that, this, and which, as opposed to Nar, Jar, Nar, which means there, here, and where, right? So. That's an exception to that rule. However, it doesn't usually happen like that. You know, it doesn't usually happen like that. Now, there is a situation where adding the R, the R Hua, distinguishes between two, uh, two words where they have two alternate meanings. So the example I'm thinking of here is Hua. So Hua is a character that means flower, but it also means to spend time or money, which is a very different uh, meaning. So when it is hua, you'll hear a lot of people, especially from the north, say hua, and they'll only add the r hua when it means flower. So, uh, are you buying a, uh, uh, uh what, what, what's the English shu? The English for that is, uh, is, uh, a bundle of flowers? What do you even call that in English? I'm, uh, my English is being replaced by Chinese. Um, <laughs> a bunch of flowers. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, is that's a single flower. There we go. Um, uh, and th in that case, the reason they're adding the R is to distinguish it from an audio perspective from the other meaning. Although it's not really necessary because you don't place nouns in the same parts of the sentence that you place verbs. But if you say hua, meaning to spend time or money, then for sure, you're not going to add the R hua. Right, so occasionally you run into something like that, but that's just two different words, so that isn't hard to distinguish. So, my answer that is taking way too long here for Becca is that generally, yes, you can just drop the R. Generally, you can just drop it if it is merely added on to the previous syllable. Right? If it is its own syllable, you, it's its own word, and you, it's not R Hua in that case. It's not. It's just R as a character. Right? And then there. The nar, jar, 
NAR is an exception to the rule. And then occasionally that rule, that, that thing I mentioned before, where they'll occasionally there's a two, a word that has the same meaning or sorry, the, the same pronunciation, but two different meanings. And one of the two different meanings, they'll add the R hua just to make that distinction. For example, har means flower for sure. And uh, hua, if it means to spend time or money, will never have R added to it. So anyway, that's uh, some answers about R hua. And for the most part, I would say you can drop it, Becca. But on the other hand, you know, I'd consider that from time to time, you'll sound more like a mainland speaker if you use R more often. So uh, up to you, really. Next, Nick Sims on Kongjian in context. In the sentence, 孩子需要关心,也需要空间. Why is the second 需要 needed? Sh uh, shouldn't it be assumed that if you say 也, then the thing that comes after it takes on the first trait, leaving the sentence as 孩子? So here's why you can't say it that way. First of all, let's translate this sentence. Children need care and also need space. And you'll notice that I said need twice in English because it's two full verb phrases, right? So yeah tends to connect phrases, like and usually verb phrases, right? So there are other usages of yeah, but when it just has that standard also, then we're not talking about connecting nouns. We're talking about connecting phrases. And so in the case of the sentence that Nick suggested, you could make one tiny change and it's grammatically correct. 孩子需要关心和空间, right? And so in that sentence, that would mean children need care and space. But the purpose of the sentence, and this is a part of a longer form content that's talking all about this, the balance between, you know, caring for your kids and doing things for them and, you know, uh, all the things that are necessary to make sure that uh, your kids are safe, but they also need the space to discover the world and, you know, make their own, become strong and all of that stuff and, you know, make mistakes. So the this is the first sentence in the uh, paragraph that's establishing the topic of the story. And so the rhetorical flair that the speaker is trying to make is that they need care and they need space. So we're talking about two equal needs and that's why I want to establish it that way. Whereas if you just say the sentence, it doesn't have as much rhetorical flair, I would say, you know, you want to be like, children need care and also they need space, right? It's kind of feels a little bit more rhetorically like you're establishing two things that are equal and we wanna talk about their need for both. And so um, when you say it doesn't feel as much like you're trying to compare the two necessarily. I mean, you could be, but like it's, it's sort of uh, clearer and more rhetorically clear in that way. So yeah, yeah, uh, is the type of character you'll use to connect two phrases and is what you'll use to connect two nouns because guanxin, uh, guanxin can be a verb meaning to care about. Well, guanxin ni would be an I care about you, but it can also be a noun meaning care in general, like the care you give to children. So when you have two nouns like space and care, you can use to connect them, um, which just means and, but it only means and for connecting nouns. Nice, good question, Nick. Thomas Brand on vocabulary unlocked from men, men call. Thomas says, my living link is the mouth of Sauron 
meeting Gandalf for the parlay outside the Black Gate. Yeah, so I really like this living link. So as a reminder, this is a fairly early in the course of the living links. So a living link is the thing that you can associate with the word that has a personal connection to you and maybe even has some deeper connections. So in this case, it's a great living link because first of all, that scene is, it's actually only in the extended cut, but it, I, it's a great scene where, um, uh, the mouth of Sar Sauron comes out from the black gate, which is the meaning of the word menkol. Uh, and it's a, quite a massive gate, so it's a great representation, right? And then, of course, he's the mouth of Sauron, where his his um, face is covered up, and the only thing that you can see is his mouth. And they actually talked about in the extras how they made his mouth three times the size it was when they shot it. Like, they did editing to make it three times the size. And, of course, this is menkol. And so the second character is even represented by the mouth of Sauron. That is a great example of a living link. And as we've talked about before with living links, they do not have to be as systemized as the Henze movie method. They can just be a strong memory that you have that relates to the meaning of the word because that's enough to get you from the word to seeing the word in context and still remembering what it means. Like that's the whole goal with these living links is to get you from never seeing the word before um, but you have the characters that you know, because you've learned the characters before, and then getting that word in context, which is the very next layer, is seeing it in context of sentences. And then at some point, you know, you don't even need to do that because you'll be able to get words in the context of sentences almost immediately because your grammar module is built up. So um, this is sort of a stopgap to get you from knowing the characters in the words, to learning what the word means, to seeing that word in context. And once you've seen that word in context, like 15 to 20 times or so, uh, you got it. And you don't need any further mnemonic techniques in the same way that you don't need mnemonic techniques to remember words in English that you've been saying for years. Eventually you just get it and you've got it for life. Robert Toms on Vocab Unlocked from Jian, Shijian, and Zhongjian. He says, for Shijian, I used an image of the delta triangle, the scientific variable for a non-specific interval of time. Nice. That seems like a great living link there. Um, yeah, and, you know, um, the delta triangle, it, it, that reminds me of Zelda. Because, of course, Zelda has the Triforce, which is like three triangles. And there's a bunch of triangles within the triangle. And it's great. And uh, that is an example of you know, using the, what Robert said, and then I make a link that goes from there. And so whenever you come up with these living links, part of the game of it is seeing what triggers from just an idea, right? And of course, in The Legend of Zelda, most of The Legend of Zelda games involve some kind of manipulation of time. Like I remember I, I uh, played Ocarina of Time. What a surprise, Ocarina of Time. And then uh, you you become, you go from being a kid to a, an adult in that game. And like a lot of time passes and you can sometimes go back to being a kid and go back to the past. And, and then there's Majora's Mask where you keep moving three days in the future in the back. I mean, for those of you who haven't played Zelda, this sounds like ridiculous, but it's, um, it's a really fun game. And so I took what Robert said, which is the Delta Triangle, and then just added in my own thing, which is... Uh, the, you know, having seen, played Zelda all those times and the Triforce and how that relates to time. So it's just a, a rich tapestry of living link connections. Pablo Prieri on You Did It, which is the final uh, lesson in pronunciation mastery. So we have another layer of success in the Mandarin Blueberry Method here. 
Hello guys, this 10 section pronunciation course is amazing and still helping me today. Yeah, because Pablo's like well into the Mandarin blooper method. I would also like to see a video section about day-to-day -day fast speech pronunciation. For example, how Chinese during fast speech pronounce duoxian, or zemayang turns into zenyang, or woman becomes woman, or jintian becomes jintian, or becomes right? Yeah, uh, Luke actually does talk about this in the dialectical videos, but this is these are the types of things you will pick up on, which is that, you know, in the same way that we say environment, well, where's the N? It should be environment. We just say environment, government, right? You don't say government, government. Like, why would you do that? You just say government, right? And so they're the same type of thing. Where's the H? Right? You just sort of drop the H. And this is something that comes with shadowing. Shadowing really helps with this type of thing because it's pretty tough to objectify how people do this because everybody speaks a little bit differently. Some people will speak quite articulately and enunciate all of their sounds because they want to do that or that's just how they have built up their patterns of speaking. But then other people are very relaxed. And <laughs> you know, like it sort of can happen like that. And so uh, everybody's different. All the dialects are different. So with these these types of things, it's really just important to know that it's possible and then shadow. And so one of the things that you should consider doing to help with this particularly is to shadow moments in a television show. So if you can find a moment in a television show where people are speaking in a more relaxed way, like, I don't know, you're watching Yu, which is like the Friends of China. Um, it's, 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 it's so much like Friends. In fact, they totally borrowed some storylines from Friends. But it's a, it's a funny, silly show. And they speak very much like... A lot of times they speak in a way that is uh, casual. And so if you shadow them, you'll get a lot of stuff like this. Uh, one of the problems that we run into, this is a problem I've been running into in China, uh, finding recordings. So we, we've made all of these uh, intermediate level stories that are, you know, we're almost ready with them. We've got a few more edits to make, and then we're going to do a big recording session. And I got some samples of these uh speakers and we're going to have a mix of speakers and uh they <laughs> how can i put this all of them are way too professional like they're way too just like <laughs> you know i don't know uh if i had a bit of text yeah i could maybe uh come up with something like let me let me see here let me go up. yeah okay they would be something like <laughs> like it's just got that silly sort of advertiser uh, type of thing, you know, and it's very clear. You can understand everything super clear, but I just want to be like, Hey guys, can you just talk like a person, <laughs> you know, read this like a person. You don't have to be a professional broadcaster all the time sometimes because there is this sense of like, if you get it perfect, then it's easy to relax into the less than perfect because, you know, saying Boarisa is not perfect, but it's also native. You see what I mean? Uh, saying, uh, is not right? But it's still very native. You know, so it's kind of fun how can turn into It's kind of fun how that will change. But those types of changes 
are the types of things that you pick up naturally. And my suggestion is always get it perfect first, speak like a broadcaster first, and then relax into the other types. Pablo says, these quick tips could help us adjust our ear to hear the subtleties. When I learned French, knowing these tips accelerated my listening skills. Thanks. I, I think it would be worth us pointing out a few more of these. As I say, Luke did uh, point out some of these in the dialectical uh, differences video, and it is a little bit tougher than probably French is because there's so many different dialects and there's so many different ways that people shorten the words. Um, you know, I could say you talk like this if you want to talk like uh, somebody from Brooklyn, but like that's only going to be relevant to um, people in that part of the United States, right? And so um, same thing with like if I were to say, well, how can I help you? And you just speak like that if you want to be in the South, but it's not necessarily – how you can't make something that's a universal rule when it comes to the way in which people shorten things. There are some things, and you've actually pointed out many of them here, like – for the most part, people very rarely say, they'll say, right? But it's the kind of thing where it's very hard to find hard and fast rules there. H's tend to fall out sometimes. N's tend to fall out. Pinyin, pinyin. Is there really the N in there? I mean, like, pin, in, kind of, pin, pin, right? It's not really there. The N gets lost. So that can happen sometimes. But this is a great question, and uh, I'll you know discuss with Luke whether or not we can add in some more things like that. But like I say, it's it's you know we're gonna put in loads of caveats that you know this may be true in the north, but it may not be as true in the south, and so there's those issues at, uh, for the a lot of the time. John Namora on level seven complete. Do do you happen to know why they didn't put an umlaut for all six? Pinyin. Yes, I do. This is a good question. If you look at these six pronunciations, u, nu, lu, ju, chu, chu, all of them uh, have the u sound, but only nu and lu have an umlaut over the u. This is because there the pronunciation nu and lu exist, but there is no uh, u sound. This is the regular u that is spelled w u when it's by itself. Um, that only ha combines with N and L in common with the N and L that combine with U. For in the case of U, which is just um, YU, the Y is just there for spelling. So this is really just the umlaut U, U by itself. And so the way you know it's the umlaut U by itself is that it has a Y in front of it, whereas the regular U by itself has a W in front of it, right? So that's clearly distinct. Then you have nu, lu, which put the umlaut because that's to make sure you don't uh, uh, mistake them for nu and lu, right? And then ju, chu, shu. In my opinion, they should have put the umlaut for these, but I get why they didn't because there is no J plus regular U, Q plus regular U, or X plus regular U. That Those sounds don't exist in the language, so there's no contradiction. And so you just have to remember that ju, chu, shu is the U, not the U, right? Um, which is the thing we cover, of course, in pronunciation mastery, but I do understand why this question comes up. And so that's why. It's to prevent confusing the nu and lu with nu and lu.
Oscar Hagland on start shadowing in phase four. So I have a question about shadowing. If I'm to speak with a short delay, say one second, will I be speaking one word while listening to the audio say another? I've tried this and found it very confusing, kind of like how it is difficult to speak if I hear, if you hear an echo of yourself, right? If I, on the other hand, speak more or less at the same time, fractions of a second later, then it feels more natural, but because I am speaking at the same time, I can't really tell if I am pronouncing it right because my own sound is drowning out that of the recording, right? So this is a good question. Here are some thoughts on how to consider it. First of all, shadowing is definitely hard. It's one of the hardest things to do and you shouldn't do it too long because it's very brain draining. It's very like the bang for your buck of five minutes is really high. Like you probably get a lot out of that five minutes and it's very good for building up your pronunciation. However, it's also important to recognize that, um, you know, it's that uh, sense of being right on or right after is going to take more practice, you know, like, so there's just a general bit there that it, it, you have to practice getting used to that. Uh, but you can don't think that you can't get used to that. Like, it's natural to go, well, I'm not, it's hard now at the beginning. It's like, yeah, of course, yep, it's going to be hard at the beginning. It doesn't mean it's always going to be that hard. So that's one point. Um, but the second point is this. Uh, well, uh, here's another practical point. Check the volume. So like figure out what the ideal volume is for still being able to hear it, but also being able to hear yourself and just mess with it. Like go really loud, go really soft, see what works, right? And find that ideal volume because it might just be that you adjust the volume by a click or two on either side and it will solve this issue. So there's that. But then there's the other element to this, which is that the process of shadowing is to first listen and repeat. Listen and repeat, listen and repeat, listen and repeat. And let's just say you're doing one sentence. 孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需要空间。孩子需要关心也需
remember that you will get to the point where, you know, and that idea of doing it where you're like maybe a second behind, that also is something you can get used to. Um, I find that I, that's the technique I have to use if I'm shadowing directly. So if I start listening to a Chinese podcast that I've never heard before, it's like a news broadcast or something that's like live. So I couldn't have possibly heard it before. Then the only possible way to shadow it is to be a little bit behind. You make fair, a fair few mistakes, but amongst the mistakes were a lot of parts where you were correct. So um, that's the only way to do it there. And of course I've done that a lot of times. And I will say that when I've done that um, many times, you, you get more and more used to it as time goes on, being a little bit delayed. Next, Nick Sims in uh, on uh, Bia in context. He says, you know, just reading these sentences gives you so much confidence that you can do this. I know these words and I'm building more and more confidence every time, building up speed and understanding. Well, that's fantastic, Nick. I mean, like, you know, that is so true. You really do build up quite the ability when you... Uh, just keep reading the sentences and then you realize this is the language. It's actually, I'm reading real Chinese right now. This is not, uh, you know, just a theoretical thing. Like I'm learning these characters in phases one and phase two, and I'm learning these words. Once you really start uh, seeing these things in context, and this is actually in, in phase four. So Nick's having that good moment that you want to have every now and then where you recognize your progress. So a lot of good comments and emails this week that were about recognizing progress. Now let's move into the movie scene shares. So the movie scene shares are where we have a full mnemonic scene that represents uh, a character or we just give some mnemonic suggestions. So first we have Rick Santos on make a movie for Hui, which relates to, that's in the intermediate course. And yeah, Hui is, it's a, a character that means to like merge or uh, converge in some way. Uh, and so this is often used for um, things like uh, a is to do a foreign currency exchange <laughs> as an example. And so you're merging the currencies and they're converging or whatever. All right. Uh, so let's see here. And the two components are the three dots water and the sort of open box to the side and he and Rick uses the way the open box looks because the open box actually looks like a capital C. So let's see what he says here. In the backyard of the EI set, Humpty Dumpty sits on the fence, on the fence wall, watching the rainwater from many streets converge. And of course he's using the um this the component from <laughs> the the character to be the C and converge. That's that's pretty clever. Um for many streets converge onto the canal, same sea, along the wall. It was like coins rushing into the cash box of the, let's say, I think, he, I don't know what he means by cambio, but cambio slash foreign exchange counter of Huifeng Yinhang, HSBC, right? Okay, nice. So that's a good example of uh, a scene that came up with something pretty creative there. I never thought of that before, to look at a character and see if it looks like an English letter. Uh, so great, Converge, Canal, Cashbox, uh, Exchange there. I like it. Perfect. Thanks for that uh, good suggestion there, Rick, on Make a Movie for Hui. Will R on Make a Movie for Xia. Keyword, xia, summer, actor, XI, set A. Room within the set, the garden in the backyard. Props are a rifle, Pinocchio, and a turtle. Nice. XI actor in the A set garden. The XI actor meets Pinocchio and a turtle who are very unhappy with the current season of the year it is. The 
XI actor grabs her rifle and fires it into the sky, and then Summer magically breaks out. The XI actor and Pinocchio then jump on top of the turtle, and the three of them all ride the turtle singing together. They all sing out in the warm summer weather, the classic undertones tune. Here comes the summer, here comes the summer, here comes the summer. I like this. This is a great use of contrast, right? Because uh, that's one of the best ways to get across summer. You know, have it be the dead of winter and then something happens. The rifle shoots to the sky, right? And uh, suddenly everything changes into a beautiful summer scene. And, you know, you have that... Uh, uh, summer, like, you know, for me, summertime and living is easy could be playing or that um, in the summertime when the weather is hot. And then you've got all uh, this particular undertone song. I'm not sure. Maybe I'd recognize it if I heard the tune. But the point is, there's loads of songs about summer. So it's a great opportunity to use uh, music. So contrast, music, great stuff, Will. George Laurer on Make a Movie for Tss. So tsu means like a time, like I read it one time or I, I saw them two times, that type of thing. Cassius Clay, the sea actor, is in the bathroom of my childhood home. Nice. So that covers the pronunciation. He uses an ice pick to destroy the giant credit card of his wife. Nice. So those are the two props. She again has spent too much money and he has told her not one time or two times, but multiple times that he cannot afford that. Finally, she has to carry the consequences, right? So um, nice. There's a, this is the type of thing that you can imagine somebody saying several times. You know, how many times do I have to tell you? And uh, cr the reason that it's a credit card is because that component by itself means qian, which means to owe, right? So whenever you have a credit card, you owe something. And so, uh, yeah, this is great. I like that scene. You know, I think that... Um, Maybe what he you could do is when he's like, one time he checks off a box and then two times and then three times just so that there's a visual representation of that and not just the audio, but overall, great scene. Will R on Make a Movie for Jun, which means precise. Actor is John Rambo. The set is the EN set. And the room within the set is the living room. And we have the ice and turkey props. John Rambo in the EN's living room. And he, the, the turkey randomly wanders around the living room, which annoys John Rambo. John Rambo picks up some ice, which he will use to send the turkey away. John Rambo holds the ice up and makes a precise aim at the turkey. John Rambo hits the turkey precisely with the ice and the turkey runs away. So I think that the key here is that when he's looking, you've got the close up of him looking with the ice and then maybe even you imagine a scope coming from his eye. I know he doesn't actually have a rifle, but he just his scope coming through his eye, showing the chicken or the turkey. And then he throws the ice and it's like really slow motion. And you can see that it goes precisely into that spot. I think that that's uh, pretty good. You could use some slow motion and you know, all of that. So great. Final scene for today. Will R on make a movie for Xiao to laugh. The actor is Sissy. The set is the AO set and it's in the bathroom. We have the bamboo wall and Heath Ledger. Uh, right, and he picked Heath Ledger. Because that character, Yao, means to die young. And, of course, Heath Ledger, unfortunately, passed away young. So he's a good representation there. Okay. Sissy at the AO's bathroom. She walks into the bathroom to find a bamboo wall in the way of the toilet. She breaks open the bamboo wall because she desperately needs a toilet, only to see Heath Ledger on the toilet, on the toilet there. Sissy backs off in embarrassment while Heath Ledger laughs. Sissy then laughs as she sees the funny side of it now. Two. Sure, I think that this is okay. And I mean, of course, Heath Ledger was the Joker. You could, 
make him the Joker and do that classic Joker laugh that he did. Uh, so I think that that could work as well, just to add a little bit more context to it. Um, so great, awesome stuff. Uh, that's it for today's Mandarin Bluebird podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. Head over to mandarinbluebird.com to learn more about uh, what we offer as our courses. And just as a little bit of a preview, I think by the time this comes out, we might even have this available, but if not quite yet, you know, look forward to this. We're going to be offering sort of installments slash rent own uh, offers for the full bundle on the course so that you don't have to pay, you know, several hundred dollars right up front, but you could pay it over, say, a year or something like that, which will make it a lot more uh, tenable for many of our folks on the line and we might be having a little new year's sale for those installment plans. So look out for that and we'll see you next week.